The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Make Life Work, the show that explores people and culture and shares some ideas on how to improve both. Your host is Kathy Ellis, and she will entertain you and share insights on how to make life work. Now, here's Kathy Ellis. Hello, this is Kathy, and welcome to Make Life Work. Today we're going to be talking about grief and looking at it a Oh, I don't know what to say. We're going to be talking about grief and looking at some different perspectives. I have two guests on today, and one is an author, Fiona Tankart, and she will be calling us from Italy. She's actually holding now. She wrote a book, Ruby and the Ghost Dog, and we'll be talking about that and how she has um, dealt with her grief in losing her husband and mother excuse me for stammering and then we'll be talking to Allison Jennings Woleb about grieving parents Um, and I am having a little bit of a technical couple technical issues so if you would all have some patience today I'd appreciate it we'll have patience with me every day and I'd really appreciate that my perspective from my perspective grief is personal. It's very personal and we all grieve differently. We can't grieve the same because it's it includes a whole set of things, circumstance, personality, the relationship to the person who's gone. Um we don't have we all do we have very specific uh, experiences so we can't experience grief the exact same way. And we really need to respect each other in how other people grieve. What we tend to do, I believe, is we do we say all the things to make other people feel better. And we do it out of a sense of caring. Oh, you know, time heals all wounds. And those kinds of things. And, oh, how about the, um, you lose a spouse and then... Uh, Within weeks, people are saying, isn't it time you start dating again? I think we do that. We think because we're caring and we're, we want the other person to feel better. But I really think we're doing that to mask the mirror. People have lost, had horrible loss in their life. And if we haven't, they mirror to us what can happen in life. We don't want to see, we don't want to see what life can bring us. We want to pretend that life isn't as hard as it really can be. And we want everybody to get over their difficult feelings. We're all okay with our good feelings, 
but we want to avoid our difficult feelings. We do. We avoid anger. We avoid frustration. We avoid hurt, and we avoid grief. And when we have somebody who's grieving in front of us, it's a reminder that you can't always avoid it. So I think we should learn to live with it. You know, efforts to push it away only create problems. And we do that through drinking and drugs and overworking and all sorts of things, all sorts of ways we we operate to avoid difficult feelings. But really grief and sadness and sorrow is a part of the human experience, as much a part as love and joy. We kind of need to honor that, and I hate to use that well overused term, um, but we do, we, we can't avoid it. It's there, it's part of our human nature. Um, and today I'm going to switch. So what I'm going to do today is chat with a couple women. Excuse me, I'm still having some technical difficulties. It. Um, hold on for a second. Oh, I'm so sorry. So if I can get Allison on the line... I can start talking with her while we're trying to get Fiona hooked up in Italy. And let's see. And my... My... Oh, wait. She, he, okay, we're patching Allison in. Oh, that's good. So, hello. She'll be Hi, here Kathy. In oh, hello, Allison. I am so sorry for the technical difficulties. That's but, all right. Know. You sound great. Thank you, and I am new at this. We have, um, you know, we switched the, we switched the, um, I'm shoot, I'm still having technical difficulties. We switched the order of the two guests, you and the other gal. Um, So, hold on one second. Boy, I don't, you know, people talk about multitasking. I am not one of those people. I can't (laughs) multitask to save my life. Oh, geez. Okay, so. So, Allison, I really appreciate you coming on the air with me. I know this is not easy for you. So, everyone knows Allison lost her son two years, five months? Two years, five months, and several days, and several days ago, he was a young adult, and it was pretty tragic, as all deaths of children are. Yes. One of the reasons I wanted to, to have Allison come on the show is because I've learned so much w- from her. And when we promoted this show, some of the people from some of her support groups, other parents, mothers, in this case, who have lost their children, have messaged me and said or messaged Allison and said how grateful that they are that we're going to be talking. And what we're going to be talking about today is the things people say to grieving parents that um, just aren't helpful. And like I was saying earlier before we patched you in, I really think it's our effort to mask that mirror that something so tragic can happen to a person. 
Will you tell us true. a little bit about Ian first? Ian was wonderful. He was the happiest, smiliest, kindest person his entire life. He loved animals. He grew up to be a research chemist. Um, just had a wonderful sense of humor and just incredibly kind. And when he was in his accident, his car accident in 2009, uh, his TBI was so severe, they were going to code him on scene until they found his firefighter's license. And then they flew him in. Uh, he wasn't expected to survive, but he did. He came out of the coma. He learned how to eat and do everything all over again. He worked very, very hard to get better, and he was in a lot of pain all the time. But he lived his life uh, fully, and then... He didn't feel well one night and uh, collapsed the next day. And that's what started the whole thing. He went into seizure syndrome. And mm -hmm. in his TBI, he lost part of his left temporal lobe. So having epilepsy show up later on is not terribly surprising. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, he was alone when he went into seizure syndrome. And then my daughter-in-law was concerned when she hadn't heard from him. She went to his house, couldn't get in, climbed the, up a second-story wall onto his balcony, could see him, called 911. Um, he was taken to the hospital. He was put on a vent. Uh, okay, everything that's good. went wrong every day until the end. It wasn't very long ago. Two years, five months, and some odd days isn't very long. No. People have people have expected you to be over it by now, though, haven't they? Oh, yeah, they started that at two weeks out, and I thought it was just me, but talking to all these other mothers, they've had so many of the same experiences. At two weeks, I had a, an acquaintance come over and <clears throat> plop herself down and look at me, and I was crying, of course, and she looked around and said, well, you know what's wrong with you? You have too many pictures of your son up. Oh, I said, no. no, what's wrong with me is my son is dead. Oh, jeez. And these are common. When are you going to get over it? When are you going to go back to being the old Allison? Which is, as all mothers who have lost children, we now know is just code for, when are you going to get back to listening to my problems and doing everything for me? And that's the saddest part, is that you find out after your child dies that you have a lot of people in your life that basically are just there for what you can do for them. As they say, you find really out who your true friends are, right? Pardon? As they say, they fi you find out who your true friends are. Oh, you do. And so many of us end up with none of the old friends and a whole group of new friends. And that's just the way it is. What I've heard uh, from you and, and some of the other moms very, very quickly. is that um, you lose your friends. People treat you like you're lepers. Yes, because we are walking, talking, often crying, reminders of what could possibly happen to them or their children. They act like we're contagious. It's it's like being a ghost, very much, and you're very um, observed and criticized at all times. So if you smile one day, but then the next day you're crying, they'll say, what's wrong? You were smiling yesterday, everything's fine. If you're crying, they say, you should really move on. Then they have this, it's almost like a fantasy grief game, where it's, where are you in the stage of grieving? Which, when you're losing your child, means nothing. <laughs> means absolutely nothing. I, I don't think that the stages of grieving, I, I don't think you can put one thing on everyone. And uh, you know, so they, they actually play this game or they play the, um, it's, it's almost a competition 
game. It's 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 truly horrifying to stand there and listen to someone say, "I know exactly how you feel. I felt that way when my eighth husband died." Literally, I had someone say that. Their eighth? Yes. You mean you mean the number eight? Yes, the number eight. And all I could think was... Wait a minute, they had eight husbands die? Yes, and, well, no, the last one died. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm thinking, well, you found seven others, but I can't go find another son, so... I see, I see. The worst, the worst comment, I think, that we all agree on that people make is, um, everything happens for a reason. I know, and that's, and so many people have that in their faith, and... I really, it's, that's a tough one because you don't want to, I mean, people can have their faith. That's really important to them. And earlier when I said grieving is very personal, so is faith. But I think it's okay. I think what they maybe could think about not doing is sharing that so much. Maybe. Well, I think they, they need to remember that it's their faith. I'm not a Christian, for that's instance. Right. And so when people found that out after Ian died, a lot of people... <laughs> Many people said, well, maybe if you'd been a Christian, he wouldn't have died. They literally just said that. So this is where people, it's almost like a, a Tourette's they develop. It's, it's the craziest things people say. Or this will make you a better person. This is not going to make me a better person. Or you're so strong. Or I could never, I could never survive it if my child died. Which, of course, all grieving mothers here is, oh, you loved your child so much more than we do. It's that's the, what people have to think about. What we're hearing more than what they're saying. Oh, that. You know, what would they feel? I mean, they wouldn't say these things to someone who just lost their job. Right. They wouldn't say, oh, it's for the best. <laughs> no. Right. But, and what you just said, excuse me, about them saying, oh, I could never survive that. You are right. the the flip The flip side of that statement is. I would be so destroyed, therefore I must love my child more. I hadn't thought of that. Oh, exactly, and that's exactly what we hear. And often the people that say there are certain things, and, you know, it's tone. I mean, everyone has foot-and-mouth moments. We're humans. Yes, I yeah. But you can tell the intent, and it's, it's very shocking to me how many people almost take it to a, um, a, an aggressive point because they don't want to think about what happened or for whatever reason. Uh, and it, it's it's really sad, and we all hear this over and over. I hear this over and over from the other mothers that are grieving. These very dismissive, these very uh, you know, it's it's like when people say, "Well, you're I could never go through that." I I look at them and say, "Well, I don't have any choice." Right. And you wouldn't have any choice either. Right. We don't have That's any right. choice. We're not so strong. We're we're very tired. All of us mothers are very tired, and what we really need is understanding. We don't need somebody to point out to us that we haven't swept our kitchen or eaten in three days. We need somebody if they want, and they don't need to gossip about it and go around and tell people that. If they were so worried about it, maybe they could come over and sweep the kitchen and make some soup. I don't know, but people Right, don't bring do a casserole, yep. No one brings food. That did not happen. No one sends cards. No one does anything. They just don't. He's just gone. And they expect you to just step up and and be the old person you were. But we do send all those things for other losses. You get yes. casseroles when your husband dies. Yes. You you get cards when your parent dies. Yes. Or even a friend or a sibling. I mean Or a dog. Or a dog. When my dog died I, I got cards from people. I did. <laughs> 
But uh, other than um, Ian's friends and very good friends here, um, Larry Martin and Lori Ford and the Lima family here in my little town uh, just have been so wonderful to me and so understanding, and none of them have lost a child. But you know what? They get it. And we can tell who gets it and who doesn't. So we don't expect people to get it because it's the rare ones that do. And it's such a horrible thing. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. No one. Losing Ian when he stopped breathing and I kept breathing and my heart kept going, the whole world turned upside down. The light dimmed. Nothing has ever been the same. And nothing. And so every day I just try to fulfill his legacy of he loved animals so much. So I'm very active in animal rescue, and that's what I do. Mm-hmm. I, you sent me a couple things that some of the moms in your support group sent you about the statements they've heard, and I wanted to read them. I, they're, they're pretty strong statements, folks. I, I they're want very to read common them, statements. Right. These are very common things we experience. I want people to hear how bizarre these things are. Yes, please do. The, the day of my, mom, my daughter's memorial, <clears throat> a girl asked me, what are the details? The girl was asking about the details of this child's death. And the mom says, not to the girl, but she says to Allison, um, she, she took her own life with a gun. And it was graphic. But what she told the girl was just to get away from her. Get away from me. And I support that. I, I, there's nothing else you can say at that point. No, there's there no... No taking care of that girl. That girl needs to, somebody needs to shake her, wake that one up. And I can't imagine. Going to therapy. (laughs) Right. I can't imagine that these comments just repeatedly over and over again are like little stings and little bites. Oh, and some of them are just slaps that leave you just breathless. Another one says, first of all, to you, Allison, thanks so much for doing this on behalf of all of us. As for the most insensitive thing anyone said to me, another woman at work was pregnant with twins and pulled me aside to say she was worried what happened to me would happen to her. This woman lost her girls at 21 weeks. She actually said to me, hopefully they stay put and don't just fall out like yours did. Yeah, unbelievable. yeah, it's it, it, it's it's remarkable and it's and it's so appalling that somebody would be so short-sighted. And then the last one that I would read again to you, Allison. This woman says, "All the best and well done, and thank you for doing this." Three weeks after losing my two and a half year old to cancer, only eight weeks after being diagnosed, a friend told another friend. Isn't it about time she got over this grief thing, don't you think? At work, she was told she was mentally unstable because she reacted to a coffin being brought into the workplace as a piece of art only three months after her daughter died. I say whoever, unless this was like a giant company, and I don't think it was, whoever brought that in, 
Uh, well, I just don't have enough words to say, and they wouldn't be appropriate anyway. I was going to say, I don't think we can say them on the radio. Right, because that's so cold. That's just cold-hearted. Um, she this says is common. Oh, she says she also has people staring, avoiding her, or freezing because they don't know what to say. Yes. In a small town, you cannot get away from being the woman who lost a child. Yes. She's lost friends. Yep. She used to drop her children off at school and sit and cry for six hours and then go back and pick them up. And yep. no one had any idea. They don't care. Um, people don't care. That's, that's the memo we all got. I, I, I broke down crying in... Costco. I thought I really had it together about six months after Ian died, and I had to go to Costco. I was walking along. I was doing fine, just in my bubble, and I turned and looked and saw his favorite wasabi peanuts, and it was over. And I stood there just crying, and people immediately moved to the far side of the aisles if I was holding a bomb. No one said, are you all right? No one said anything. I wasn't screaming. I was just standing quietly crying. And that is people's reaction. They don't want they don't want to, to catch it. reach out or catch it like you said like you're contagious yes it is like we're contagious and you know the other thing that's so hard the things that people hear my dear friend Jane Lloyd she's in, in Wales she lost her little girl Saren when she was only 18 days old and I have had so many other mothers with um, stillborn babies or babies that were lost soon after birth and the things they hear are, well, at least you didn't get to have to get to know them. So it can't be that bad. We think These it's are common things that, are pe- that people say. In my case, it was, well, Ian was 33 years old. He wasn't a child. We had him for 33 years. This is what they say. I actually don't know what that means. I, what does I, that mean? It, it so means what? But if, but if they knew what... The, what Grieving mothers were thinking, especially the first year we're in the fog. But after, you know, within the, the second year is a very, very hard year because everything is instantly very sharp and clear. And so, you know, if they knew what we were thinking when they're saying these things, when we have those awkward smiles glued on our faces, they'd step back. They really would. I mean, it's, it's you know, the everything happens for a reason just makes me want to smack someone in the face and say, you're right, everything does happen for a reason and walk away. Or how about, well, you know you have other children you need to be strong for. Oh, boy. Or what about your other children? Aren't you letting them down? Oh. Yes, lovely. So what I would suggest to people, this is something my dad taught me early on. When he had friends who lost, when he lost friends when he was older and he lost friends and the widows, because mostly that's how it worked, the widows were left. He would write them a card. He would say things about their husband. He wouldn't just sign a card. He'd say a few things. Like, I remember when, Joe, you know, this and that. He would call them. He would ask if they need anything. He would move towards them. He did the same thing with people, taught me about people in, mm, with diseases like cancer or maybe in a wheelchair to treat and speak to people like they're people, oh yeah, like they're people. So I will actually do this in, in a grocery store on the sidewalk. If I end up next to somebody in a wheelchair, I might turn around and go want a race. And of course yeah. they, would, they would win anyway, but they always laugh. And yeah. you know, there, there's this great scene in uh, Terms of Endearment, remember that movie, where mm-hmm. 
the friend of the girl that was had the cancer was clued in that it's okay to talk about it. And she comes up in the middle of a party and says, so I hear you have cancer. And the character spits out her drink. But it's, if we handled it a little differently, it would be a, it would be better. And I think, well, it if would we stopped be because the little, it's the elephant in the room. Otherwise, and we all know. And so it's we feel very other anyway. Right. And so when people react that way, that just cements that in, and you feel You're start different. feeling very isolated. And a lot of grieving is you have to do it alone. We need a lot of very private, quiet time. I do especially, but the other mothers have been the same way. We tend to withdraw in, and that's normal, I think. We're, we're recentering. We're finding a new way to move forward, and it's mm-hmm. very, very hard work. So when people say, oh, you're a recluse, or oh, you don't get out, but it, it becomes this constant, they don't reach out. It's more like it's you're being constantly psychoanalyzed by people who are not analysts. And it becomes rare, in a small town, is can be very, oh, awful, I would, imagine, I would imagine. Oh, well, I had people spreading rumors that, that Ian committed suicide. Now, I'll say first oh. thing that if Ian committed suicide, I wouldn't have been ashamed of it, and I would have been the first person that would have talked about it because mm-hmm. it would have been his decision. And right. the shame that's surrounding that, that the, the mothers go through with that, is horrendous. It is absolutely horrendous. The stillbirth mothers and the mothers who lose children to suicide are treated like they are criminals, like they are less than. They can't talk about their children. It's like a, a shame thing. And, and I've been so shocked. There are no hallmark moments in, in losing your child. There are none. none. And, but, the, but the really shocking thing is there are literally none. I mean, right. it's no, right. it, it almost feels like you're you're you know there's a, there's a line of people just waiting to to say bizarre things and you know to and want really, you to get over it so they don't have to look at it. And we really don't have to say anything, or or the or we could just say something little like, "I'm so sorry" is the best thing someone can say with a hug and with real feeling. And I'll just say to people, if you don't have that feeling, if you're not an empathetic or compassionate person, don't just say it for words because if if anyone on this planet knows when someone is being honest with their feelings or not, it's a grieving mother. That's one of the first things we all get. I mean, it's we, we kind of live by our gut completely. And, you know, you just never know what every day is going to be like. It is literally like being in, in heavy surf. And so some days you can you can kind of ride it, but we all go through days um, where you just end up down. And sometimes for a week, you can barely move. Getting out of bed. I have a little celebration every Tuesday when I manage to get the garbage out. This is, you know, <laughs> this, is, oh, this is two years, five months later, but I have a little celebration when I do that because paying bills, getting garbage, the normal things are overwhelming. Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure. And if there's that person that you're talking about that doesn't know what to say and they're very awkward, I think they should say that. You know, I'm all for acknowledging our our part of things. So I would easily say to somebody, this is really awkward, awkward for me. I don't know what to say because I just don't know what to say. Or... I stutter at this kind of stuff, or I'm I trip over myself around this. Not stuff. I'm sorry to use that word, but um, just say <laughs> something, but not get over it. That's stuff. that's why I think that the I'm so sorry is just a good thing to stick with because otherwise, the the worst thing that we have to do is explain. 
you know, explain our feelings or or explain to another adult how to be an adult. It's very tiring after something like this to have to do that. And there's a lot of people, there are a lot of people in our society that do not have the adulting thing down. And so they expect someone going through immense pain to walk them through their viewing the immense pain. And that's tedious. That's, you know, I, I, I'm very much into radical honesty, I'm, and I, I really don't have a lot of time for people like that, especially now, the second and coming in the third year, it's, you get much more, I think most of our mottos is, we don't care. Mm-hmm. If, if you have a problem with that, that's your problem. We have these huge problems. And at the same time, these women I've met are the most loving, amazing people I have ever met in my life. In the depths of their despair, they reached out to me in the beginning and walked me through it. And so did a friend from high school, Harvey LaFlam, who lost his daughter Haley tragically. He was the one that got me through the initial weeks. If it hadn't been for Harvey, I don't know, honestly. And Ingrid, my friend, all these people that have come together out of their terrible grief to reach out, and that's the common thing. So that makes it very hard for me. I'm I'm very sympathetic to other people, and I realize people are just dealing with, with what they have, you know, their emotions, whatever, whoever they are, however they're wired, that is who they right. are. And I really believe to love people, you need to love them where they are and where they're coming from in the moment. But, we're going to have to end. Go ahead and finish that thought, and we're going to have to break. But when something like this happens, we need understanding and patience. We really don't have the time to be explaining to other people, you know, that maybe they should work on um, being compassionate. Right. Not your job. There's countless therapists out there for that. Yeah. I want to thank you, Allison, for being on the show with me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Kathy, for talking about this. It's really important. We bet, you bet. And if, if you want some um, inf- more information, you can go to Voice America my page on Voice America or MakeLifeWorkToday.com and later today I'll link some support groups for parents who've lost their children. Thank you and we're going to take a break now. Thank you, Kathy. Bye. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com How are you doing in your life? Do you control your life or does it control you? In our hectic, overconnected world, do you spend too much time feeling tired and wired? Tune in to Master Your Life with hosts Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin for inspiration, insight, and intelligence on how to gain control of yourself and your life. Along with some inspirational and knowledgeable guests, Leah and Howard will give you the tools needed to help you on your journey. Tune in every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Do you feel alone trying to conquer life's challenges? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April Joy Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to discover the powerful you. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you get empowered holistically every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern 
on Voice America Empowerment. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Make Life Work with Kathy Ellis. Kathy would love to hear from you with any questions or comments you might have. Please send your emails by clicking the email host button on the Make Life Work show page. Now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the second half of Make Life Work. Today we're talking about different perspectives on grief. And earlier we had Allison on who shared so much insight for the rest of us. I hope everyone was listening. And now we're going to talk to Fiona Tankard. She wrote a book, the book Ruby and the Ghost Dog, which she'll tell us about. And I want to let you know, uh, Fiona is calling us from Italy. And um, she's a Brit living in Italy. Hello, Fiona. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Fine, I'm still awake, even though it's, it's you know, quite late here. <laughs> yes, it is quite late there, isn't it? Is it like 10 o'clock or 10.30? I think it's about half past 10 to something Ugh. like that, yes. Well, I appreciate you staying up. Okay, Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? <laughs> well, um, I moved to Italy in 1994. I was a teacher, and my husband and I decided to, to um, live the dream and move to a ruined farmhouse in Italy. So we loaded up our car with our cats and dogs and drove off to live in basically a house with no windows or electricity or bathroom or water or anything and we did that up over time and um, got various jobs from teaching to writing um, I became editor of um, well I created the idea and became editor of a magazine about Italy that sold quite well in the UK um, and that gave us the money so that we could actually do our house up properly and then um, we once it was done up I wanted to move again so we moved um, 10 years ago to a part of Italy that most people don't know although it is in Tuscany um, called the Casentino Valley and um, we lived in a, a slightly nicer farmhouse in uh, near a village and I got more animals, got some alpacas, and uh, we carried on writing. And then uh, my husband got quite ill, and he died last year in May. Um, and I'd lost my mother as well in uh, 2012, so I was going backwards and forwards to the UK visiting her. She had vascular dementia, so that was all quite uh, traumatic as well. Um, and now I'm living here with my animals and writing and, you know, generally just yes. carrying on. Very good. And how did you come about writing Ruby and the Ghost Dog? And, well, and tell us um, about the story, will you, please? Well, basically, um, I love animals, and um, I started up a website for pets 
and I got an appeal for uh, setter that there's lots of hunting dogs get abandoned in Italy and um, I got this particular appeal for this setter and it really touched my heart he'd been abandoned near Naples he was starving he approached some villagers they stoned him broke his ribs um, broke a tooth and an animal rescue person scooped him up took him to the vet and then they uh, rehomed him and uh, the first home didn't work out, so they contacted me and said, would I be interested? So um, to cut a long story short, um, we adopted him um, in 2009. And at that time also, I decided I wanted to volunteer in the local um, dog pound, I suppose you'd call it, uh, canile in Italian. And so I worked there for a couple of years every weekend. And... From about the time we got the setter, English setter, Gassy, and um, also I was working in the, the kennels, I got this idea for a story about basically um, a dog that had died in the kennels because quite a lot of the dogs sadly do die. People don't adopt them and they spend their whole lives there. And him wanting to try and help his sort of inmates, fellow inmates in the kennels by um, getting in touch with a little girl who'd moved over from England. So that's how the story started, and I played around with it for quite a long time, um, several years, actually. And as things happened in my life, they got fed into the story. And uh, so that's how, how the book started, really. And I want to let every, everybody know you can find it on Amazon.com. And if you go to my page, MakeLifeWorkToday.com, under guests, there'll be some information on Fiona and her links. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so tell us about grieving. Just talk to us a minute about grieving and how you intertwined that through the story. Well, I think it was very powerful listening to Alison talking. Um, and I could never imagine what it's like to, to lose a child. I'm not a mother myself. Um, but I think grief has many different shades to it, from grieving for an animal to grieving for a child. And different people experience it differently. But one thing I do think is important to say is that death is really not a subject that we tackle at all, I think, in modern society. It's very hidden away. People don't like talking about it. And I thought it was important in the book that um, we dealt with the topic of death um, in a way that people wouldn't be afraid of and the book's intended for children um, and so we deal with the death of an animal we also deal with the death of the little girl uh, Ruby's father who dies in Afghanistan so she's already um, lost her father at the start of the book and she also sees a, a dead girl um, uh, so a woman who's actually lost her daughter so she's, she is a grieving mother who in fact is, is driven almost insane with grief um, in the book as well um, so there are three main dead characters, if you like. And I thought it was important to tackle it head on um, and not to hide away from the fact that death is a part of life. Um, it's a hopeful book. It um, does rely on the fact that there might be contact from the other side. Um, and that I have to say up front, because clearly if you don't believe in ghosts, and the fact that universal energy and the energy of love, which I think is very associated with um, death, you know, they say that um, grief is the price of love. And I think that's a very um, important thing to get across. So um, we deal with those 
big topics and I don't see why children's books should all be, you know, rainbows and Right, they and shouldn't be. Right. You know, well, let's, let's deal with the big stuff because it is part of life. I want to say something, though. You said it's a children's book and that is the yeah. group you wrote it for. I... I, um, the, what I have read, I didn't read the whole thing yet, but what I have, by the way, I'm dyslexic and I don't read books. So if, so I'm reading <laughs> yours, which in, in itself, you, you could be the 11th book in my life I've read. Um, it, I, I think it's very appropriate for adults. I, I'm reading it and I'm really interested. I mean, it's grabbing me. So maybe it's the kid in me, it's grabbing, but nonetheless, I, I don't want people to think it's just a child's. A book for children. I've, I've I really think of, lots of people, um, adults, have read it as well and love it. So it's Good. not just for children. Um, I Good. think adults get something out of it as well. So um, yes, I'm glad that you enjoyed it too. Yes. So tell us. Um, oh, I would like to say a little. So you were seeing the difference between there, there's different sh- shapes or colors of grief, and mm. from losing a pet to losing a child, and certainly. There is no comparison there can't be from losing a child to losing a pet. I don't have children either. I have my foster daughter. If she's listening, hi, Jenny. Um, I had, I've had i had animals. I've had three big dogs and four cats. A few years ago, I, I adopted this little kitten, Lizzie, Elizabeth, and she was only uh, four, four pounds. And I attached to her like I've never attached to anything else. And I'm really attached to my animals. I don't have kids. I'm attached to my animals. I lost her after a couple of years. And I was out of it, literally out of it for three months, which isn't, you know, very long. But it was peculiar to me to see the difference between my grieving for her and my grieving for my other beloved animals. Something was very different. And when I saw that, I realized everybody else's experience is very different. And if someone is as sad about losing their pet as someone else is about losing their spouse or a friend or even maybe a child, that's not my call to say there's difference. That's their experience. Absolutely. I think that you experience what you experience. Um, everybody's different. Um, I have a, a sort of similar story um, to your kitten one in that I've had loads of animals. I mean, honestly, so many animals um, <laughs> over the last two years, and many of them have died eventually, or they've come to sticky ends and things. And um, I recently, I've got seven alpacas, and recently one of the alpacas, I just found it dead under a tree. It was, um, oh. um, they did a post-mortem, they weren't sure exactly what the cause was, and it does happen sometimes to these animals. But um, a few weeks before that, a friend had given me a rescue pigeon. I rescue pigeons. I've got pigeons with sort of bits missing, (laughs) like one leg or one wing. I think together they can make like a complete pigeon. And this friend of mine had found a pigeon and she'd rescued it from a park. And uh, when I actually got it from her, I realized it was very badly injured because it had one wing and one leg. So it really couldn't stand up or anything. But it really tried to live and it tried for two months. And it died in my hands. And I was more upset about that pigeon, cried more for that pigeon than I did for my alpaca that I've had for two years. Now, who can explain that? You can't. Right. I just felt what I felt. I felt right. so sad. It was a little thing. Nobody really cared about it except me. And I just thought, you know, this is such a shame because it tried so hard to live and it really didn't have a chance. And, um, and the pigeon. fact that it had died in my hands as well. It was, it was just really sad. So, you know... You can't um, make rules for grieving. You know, you feel what you feel. 
and it's very difficult to explain what you're feeling to somebody else. Um, it's not a universal thing. It's right. not that everybody feels like this if they lose an animal. Everyone feels like this if they lose their child, their husband. You don't. Everyone's different. And the five stages of grief get all mixed up um, completely. You don't follow a process, particularly, I think, I'm talking about people now, if um, you've had some degree of uh, notice that the death is going to happen because then you've got this whole anticipatory grief thing where you're actually grieving in advance, which is what I did with my mom and her dementia because you lose the person before they actually die. And to a certain extent, what happened with my husband because he was very ill before he died. So again, I was grieving for, you know, part of the life we lost, the person we lost before the actual death. So you go through some of the stages of grieving before the person's actually died. So there are all kinds of things. It's an immensely complicated subject. And um, I do sort of, I was tremendously moved by what Alison said, but I do sort of feel a little bit of compassion for the people who are trying to say the right thing. I don't quite know what to say um, and end up, you know, saying ridiculous, stupid things because maybe they haven't experienced it themselves or maybe they're just scared. And a lot of people are petrified about tackling the subject of death. Um, right. The whole thing terrifies them and that's why they act like idiots a lot of the time. Right. I've said, I've said very stupid things and I've been a therapist for 35 years and have worked <laughs> with grief extensively. And I've still said... Um, uh, she mentioned somebody on the show that I said really stupid things to when that person lost their child. Um, I, you know, there's a difference though. I know Allison was referring talking about a difference of intent, and mm-hmm. when I look at the psychological, social, cultural component of it, and there's so many people that are really just trying to avoid the reflection of that mirror, and that's not that's human nature, but it's disingenuine in respect to the connection to that other person. And I I did hear the difference there from her. And I see a difference with people. Mm -hmm. You know, you can stutter over your words and say stupid things, but if you really, if your heart is in the right place, as they say, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. So, you know, I I do sort of feel sorry for people who are trying to deal with somebody grieving because it's not easy because the person's Uh mood. So I know myself, you know, your mood changes almost hourly. Um, You're fine, you can laugh, and then you're in tears. You know, it's it's not predictable and it's difficult knowing how to deal with somebody like that. I think you just kind of have to be there. You're right, that just have to be there. And the the, um, premise of my whole show is individuation and autonomy my thought is that the fundamental goal of human nature is to find emotional uh, psycho-emotional autonomy from others so we can be our own person that in fact is then when we really can join and become a good society and I think people that get to the place where they can just as you say be with it or sit with it without trying to fix it are really finding their autonomy yes yes and sometimes things are just bad. I mean, yes. you know, I, I think human nature is that when someone's suffering, you want to help, you want to offer advice, you want to do something to make them better. But sometimes there's nothing you can do. It doesn't get better. It's bad. And it sometimes helps to accept it's bad and acknowledge it's bad. You know, this is awful. And that's yes. it. Not this is awful, but you'll feel better soon. Or this is awful, and why don't you do this? It's just this is really awful. 
Someone loses a leg and we say, well, when you get your prosthetic, things will be better. <laughs> no, no, no. Things will be that you, I can walk to the car. I can yeah. go to the kitchen. Yeah. Maybe, you know, I can get some special things and run a marathon again. But no, no, things aren't going to be really better. Different. Different. Right. Different. different How long have you been in Italy? I know you might How have long have I been it. in Italy? 22 years. <laughs> oh. You know, I'm moving there. As soon as I sell my house, I'm moving. I'm already half-packed. Sorry? I'm moving to Italy as soon as I sell my house. Great. I am. Yeah, I'm already half-packed. We have a mutual friend, um, Giselle Stafford. Right, yes. That's where we connected is through through Giselle. That's right, through Facebook. Yes. Yes. So when I get out there, I hope to come see you in your menagerie of animals. (laughs) You'd be very welcome. You would be very oh. welcome. Work your way through the animals. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I had three ducks die in the last couple of weeks. I have chickens and ducks, and um, I've lost so many chickens and ducks over the years that I it doesn't. I don't grieve. Mm. It's it's sad. You know, sad and and sometimes really messy because it depends on how they were um, killed. But I don't, I don't grieve over them anymore. But I was laughing at myself because I'm, I get a little tired, you know, the hawks or the raccoon, all the vermin out there. And I was laughing at myself the other day, saying I wanted, and I wanted to be a pioneer woman, <laughs> as, I, as I'm picking up a mangled duck. Well, you do kind and of get used to the fact that that animals die, um, and I'm certainly a lot better now than I was when I first moved to Italy because I would be in floods of tears about. Everything. I mean, and there were. Oh. I was moving from the city to the country, really. So I had a double whammy of, of oh, yes. to a, a different country, but also moving into the countryside. And of course, in the countryside, things die. I mean, there are things dead everywhere, and I was in yes. tears about all of them. And I thought, I have to get a grip. This is really <clears> ridiculous. Otherwise, I'm going to spend my whole life just in tears. So I have to harden <laughs> up a bit, which I have done now. I mean, I don't, you know, get too upset if I see, right. you know, like on my dog walk, um, half a dead wild or piglet, you know, um, I didn't immediately feel the need to go and bury it and put flowers on it and stuff. I just uh, left it. <laughs> so oh. you do harden up. Okay, I was I, I left. I was going to town the other day. I went out to the front. There's a mangled bird on the driveway, and I didn't have time to deal with it. I was guy was like, well, I gotta go. I'll deal with it when yeah. I get back. Two hours later, the vultures had finished it off. Nature, the cycle of nature. I mean, this is the thing that you have to accept that nature is a bit, you know, rough in tooth and claw, isn't it? And you just have to uh, maybe not get quite as... I think I'm a lot less sentimental than I was about um, nature. And Mm. I think that's uh, quite a good lesson to learn, that, you know, the death, as I said before, death is part of life. And sometimes Mm. it's um, okay. You just have to accept it and not try and make it pretty and nice and, you know, make it better because it's not better. It's just different. Yes. Did you, I'm curious, personal question, I suspect, did you have an open casket for your husband? No, he was cremated, actually, um, and didn't have an open casket. Um, Both of my parents um, were cremated as well. Sorry? Both of my parents were cremated as well, and I had thought of that when you said we try to make it pretty, we try to wrap, and we do when I was thinking about coffins and the makeup and, you know, dressing up the dead and... Well, it's it's very different. Um, certainly, I've found the whole approach to death in Italy is quite different, and it's a lot um, more pragmatic. 
than um, in what's well, certainly in Britain. I don't know about the states, um, and it's it's much more. Um, I don't know. They really face up to it, and you're you're made to face up to it as well. I mean, um, I do have a story about what happened after my husband died. I don't know if I've got time to to share it with you. We have four minutes. Well, um, it's fairly graphic, um, but it does show that you can also have a laugh. You know, you are allowed to laugh even while you're grieving, because after my husband died, um, I was told by the doctor, um, I was with a friend, and she said he'd... He had died. And then, have you organized a funeral director? I don't know. Do you call them that in the States? Funeral director? Yes. Person organized the funeral. So I said no. So she said, well, there's a line of them outside if you want to go and visit one. So within 10 minutes, I was outside looking for a funeral director. And we um, went into one that was a Sunday, went into one that was open. And um, I'm sure as we walked in, he was watching porn on his TV. Um, oh, anyway, really? I'm sure. I don't know. I can't be sure, but I, I'm fairly sure. And on his desk was um, Life is Fashion uh, sign. Uh, anyway, he didn't last long. I decided not to go with him. So um, I called a friend and we drove back to my village. And there was a funeral director in the village who was um, also the florist, which is quite convenient. And um, so I found myself in a shop, lined with coffins, choosing the coffin. Which one would you like? Is he the same height as me? Would you like this one? This is a popular one. So I said, uh, okay. <laughs> this is like within half an hour of hearing he died. Um, then he said, was he um, a churchgoer? And I said, no. So he said, okay, so you don't want the cross on the coffin, then you want the rose. Okay, so he pulled a rose, a metal rose off the wall. Then he said, um, have you thought about a shroud? We have some shrouds here, which he had propped up on a box of Cheerios. And he said, we've got pink or white or there's champagne. That's popular. And I said, well, um, champagne, because I've got an alpaca called champagne. <laughs> so I picked champagne. And then he said, right, you go and get his clothes and I'll be ready here in 10 minutes because the hospital had told us we had to get back by 8 o'clock and this was like 7 o'clock. So I raced back with my friend. We grabbed the clothes, drove back, uh, opened the door of the shop to find him hammering the rose on the coffin. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And then he loaded the coffin into a white van and he said, right, follow me. And we had to drive like at breakneck speed half an hour to the hospital morgue um, following this white van um, so that he could go and uh, move the body from the ward into the, the morgue. Anyway, I mean, that just gives you, you know, and we were laughing, me and my friend, although we were completely shell-shocked and it had been a horrendous, you know, few weeks, we were laughing. We were saying Alan would have really found this hilarious because I found it hilarious. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> It is very funny. <laughs> it's very funny. And you're allowed to laugh. And even half an hour after he died, we were laughing at, you know, um, life is fashion. And mm-hmm. um, the the champagne-colored shroud on the box of Cheerios. I mean, it was just so bizarre. It's the most bizarre experience I've ever had in my life. And I was very pleased my friend Judith was with me because I said to her, nobody would believe me right. if I told them I've got a witness. And she was open-mouthed. But, I mean, we, we were laughing. So, you know, even in the most extreme circumstances, you can smile. And it's an anecdote that I know my husband would have absolutely adored. So, you know. We're going to need to end now. It was a joy speaking with you (laughs) today. (laughs) I really, really appreciate it. Um, You're welcome. Like I said, the uh, links to Fiona's sites in her book are on makelifeworktoday.com. 
and on Voice America dot com and the web my webpage under the Empowerment Channel. And I want to thank everybody for listening in today. And I, like Fiona said, we know it's hard for people that don't understand. We know it's hard for all of us that haven't experienced what other people have experienced to say the right things. So I suggest that if you're not sure about saying the right things, don't say anything at all. Just be there. Just be there and sit. Sit with someone's pain. It is okay. It's not contagious. It's a part of life. And you'll grow if you're able to do that too. All right. So that's it for today. And we will talk to you next week. Thanks again. Thank you for tuning in to Make Life Work. Please join your host, Kathy Ellis, again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until our next show, try to see your life and world through a new perspective.